Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Creating an experience for your customers is becoming more and more critical these days as much of our transactions migrate online. I'm really delighted to have on today's show Dave Wallens and Matt Kelly, CEO and COO of Exploring Inc., which is a holding company that creates an experience for people at trade shows and other uh, large events. And what I find so impressive about Exploring Inc. and their uh, portfolio of companies is that they have been on the Inc. 500 5000 in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2014, and 2016. So I know that all of you CEO listeners out there are going to be really excited to hear what they have to say. Uh, welcome to the show, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. So start off by telling us, Dave, what you mean by experiential marketing. And some of, the, some of our CEOs may know, but help us out by explaining what that means in, in layman's terms. Basically, we're just touching all senses, really. So we want to make a fun and interactive experience where somebody comes in and actually connects with a brand and walks away with a memorable experience. Mm. And and Matt, for you know, our for my edification, is this only relevant at you know, trade shows and where where you play and and how does it actually look? Give us an example of, let's say, an experience that you've created. At an event. No, it doesn't just tr- uh, touch trade shows. It's uh, everywhere in our everyday life. Um, one of our more successful ones would be uh, holiday experiences. Uh, Santa sets at uh, malls mm. where queue lines have a lot of interactives and uh, visual keys and items for the kids to play with as they're waiting to uh, meet with Santa. Mm. And, and Dave... Tell us about some of the trends that are happening with experiential marketing that you think our CEO listeners really need to know. Well, you know, it's just the fact that a lot of money is being invested into trade shows, events, entertainment areas, uh, traveling exhibits, uh, malls, holiday sets. And, you know, these companies are trying to brand themselves or trying to bring uh, people into an environment and they have to connect with them. And it's just not about building some walls, putting up some graphics and just coming into a space anymore. It's about really doing something and connecting. And that brings in three-dimensional elements, correct graphics, interactive, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. So you're starting to use a lot of technology. Also, just basic interactive uh, uh, low-tech elements just to make it entertaining and and giving someone a really good experience when they come to an environment. And I I guess as somebody who's a, a laywoman, it seems like that's always been important. You know, and that's always been there, right? Like if you go to a trade show, they've all, all the companies have always been trying to give you some sort of an experience of their product or service. So why is, why is this industry or this part of the industry growing so quickly? And why is that important or more important now? Well, I think it's getting more top of mind than it is growing so fast, personally. I think there is, is now so many standards to some of the conventional, um, environments like trade shows where we basically have walls and ceilings and floors and now we're getting into three-dimensional elements and, and again really making a connection through 
combination of technology and fabrication techniques that turn environments interesting. For instance, we just did a treehouse for a pharmaceutical company connecting their brand to a child cancer uh, product that they make. And it really became a connection and an understanding of what they do and, and how they perform with their products. So it was very successful, very different and interactive. And those are the types of things that we tend to bring to the table. But it's through our our whole scope of companies. So we have six different companies that are underneath the Exploring Inc. umbrella that all support each other and integrate with each other to bring these experiences to life. Mm. And so you mentioned a, a word that has been coming up quite a lot on the show, which is connection. Certainly, it seems that in, as the world has gone more online, creating ways of connecting really meaningfully with customers has become more important. So, I mean, the treehouse idea seems, forgive me, almost low-tech rather than high-tech. So how is that, um, how do you bring that kind of cutting-edge feel uh, to that, to the experience? I'll jump in. I mean, uh, the fact is it is semi-low-tech, but it's different. That when you look at it, it's all three-dimensional. So we literally built a tree, uh, a house inside of a tree, looking and feeling just like a real treehouse would, mm. which is not an easy task to do when you're traveling, having to pack it up and ship it across the country. Uh, but we're able to achieve it through our techniques that we use uh, in our scenic department and our fabrication techniques that we've developed over the years, which we call three-dimensioneering. And we bring that to life. And so it, even though it's low-tech, it is very involved and very detailed to make to pull that off, make it look real. It's almost, you know, look at a Disney store uh, is probably a good uh, example no to kids. conventional retail shop. <laughs> no kids. So I'm like, but, no idea uh -oh. what a Disney store looks like. <laughs> well, they, they do make them fun. They do make them interactive. And that's, that's kind of the difference in, uh, opposed to just walking into a, an, a retailer that has product out on, on shelves. So it's, it's creating something unique and different. And so let's talk about retailers because a lot of them, I mean, there's been all kinds of news about how retailers are shutting their doors. Uh, do you think that this kind of experiential marketing is going to be helpful for physical, you know, companies that have a physical presence to, to now bring in customers more effectively? Matt? Uh, yes, of course. The, uh, the mall environments and the experience you're going to have is going to change even more drastically over the years as they become more of a destination location. Mm. Uh, traveling museums, uh, short-term engagements of items of that nature that do have retail associated with them. But to create an experience to draw you to the mall in almost more of a more boutique type of store settings around them. I think as uh, it moves forward, the very large inventory stores will struggle, but your smaller boutiques that are more associated with the experience of what's created in the mall I think that's the movement that you'll start seeing more and more of. Hmm. So what are your recommendations for CEOs listening for some principles or ideas for what it takes to create a great experience? Well, first of all, it's thinking outside the box. You know, uh, conventional thinking on I'm going to an environment and, and not putting a lot of thought and effort into what do I want to achieve is an investment of money that may not be very wise. So the first step is really understanding what you want to achieve and delving into something with a very um, open mind as to what can be done. And that's really what we have done. Traditionally, there are some traditional techniques that are used uh, when you think about a store, you think about a trade show exhibit or event. It's very walls, very two-dimensional, if you will, and perhaps loaded with graphics. And we're trying to change that. So we're doing techniques like uh, uh, using molds and things to create three-dimensional elements and foam and 
and creating elements that are just unique, So, uh, which we have done in, in many environments. And, and, and it's just thinking out what can be done and, and really being imaginative at the same time, uh, of meaning a, an objective of, of a marketing direction. So you want to put those two things together to make it fun, interesting, and connect with the brand. So, And how, how important is technology in, in this? So if you think about your treehouse that you built for the pharmaceutical company that I'm assuming was selling a drug for children, how important was technology in that? Or is it still that you would weight the innovation and the thinking around the customer experience over the use of technology? It depends what you're trying to achieve. Mm. In the, the treehouse, technology didn't play a large part in the experience. Mm. There, you're more trying to create an environment and a connection to the brand, which was playful and hopeful, even though you're dealing with a children's cancer drug. So I think that was a great tie-in with the, with the brand perspective there. Technology becomes important in the environment which you're trying to create. Haunted houses, you know, you might think of them as low-tech, but you have a lot of animatronics and other items going and sensors and, and keys, the lighting effects. For those of machines. us who don't know, what, what is animatronics? Uh, that would be any type of movement, movement okay. of a three-dimensional yeah. element. Got it. So, and there's different ways of, of pulling those uh, tricks and gags off. But simple cue lines, um, virtual reality in there. Um, augmented reality. Augmented reality. Um, using your devices, your iPhones, any type of technology in an environment that would help s- submerse you in there is important. Even smells, any type of situation you can create to make the environment more realistic and submerse your guest into that makes it more successful. Hmm. Great. Well, thank you. And, and I love this conversation about creating experience because as we've been discussing in physical environments, it's going to be something that really differentiates um, people, the winners from people who, who don't win. But I would love to turn the conversation to talking about like how you've grown so quickly. You mentioned having six companies Dave, did you grow those organically or did, did you, did you uh, acquire some of them? Uh, in fact, all of them were acquired. We started with Brewmark back in 1999, which is our flooring company. So to be clear, what we do is we support... Uh, did you found Brewmark? Uh, I, did not, I did not found Brewmark. Okay. I bought it from the individual who did. Okay. So in 1999. So we kept the name and Exploring was the parent company. So okay. we bought it under the Exploring brand, knowing that Brewmark was being the first of flooring a flooring company, but what we did was very unique. We, we brought flooring solutions to an industry that was used to just carpet, and we brought in a way to, to bring flooring and make it important. I make a, an analogy. We call it the fifth wall now because no one paid attention to the floor, and now the floor is every bit as important as any wall in that environment. So we changed an industry, tried to change an industry to pay attention to the importance of the floor, and we achieved that. And we work with designers and builders of, of these environments. We're not working brand side. So we don't work with, you know, Microsoft and IBM and, and the companies direct. We work with their agencies, whether it's an event agency, a trade show builder, whatever that may be. So we support those industries. So People like Brad? Uh, it, exactly, yeah. over at Exhibitus. So okay. he's a great One guy. of our other guests. And so we support companies like that in trying to help them make flooring a very easy process because it can get cumbersome dealing with, with a, a, a product such as flooring in an environment and being a resource. So... We started in that capacity, and we knew that as we built a, a strong brand, that we could bring other products into the fold. So why not bring fabrication into that fold? And other products 
down the line that, that we uh, have yet to do, but could do one day. For instance, uh, it could be fabric and lighting, and now we have graphics. So we just built components around it. And as, so fabrication was the next step, and that's when we started uh, ID3 Group, and that's our fabrication group. And we've, we've expanded. We're 20%, uh, 80% of our business was trade shows when we started back in uh, 2009 in the fabrication side. Uh, today, it's about 20% of our business is trade show and 80% of our business is everything else. And we're dealing in a lot of high entertainment, uh, Jurassic World, uh, traveling mm-hmm. exhibits and so components for Avatar and just some fun the things. The movie Avatar? Yeah. So, and it's for traveling exhibits, some components okay. that we did for that. And so through the acquisition, we acquired Chisel 3D, which was our three-dimensional element company. And um, and Atlantis water jet, which actually we, we cut parts using water, which is quite interesting. We can cut up to 10 inches of steel, uh, using water. Yeah, believe it or not. So these companies, we had a choice. We, we, they were connected on and integrated with what we're doing so we can operate internally as one, but externally as multiple brands because each one can help each other or have its own client base to support it. So if you only need water jet cutting, mm-hmm. that's great. But if we're building a whole environment and we're making custom parts, we now are our own resource. We could build whatever. We have no limitations or very few limitations achieved. So that was the goal of building each one of these companies. And GCI Graphics being the last one, we now can print our own graphics, grand scale. And it just every environment we do has graphics and it only made sense. So I have a bunch of questions about this, right? The first, so, you know, how do you figure out what you want to acquire? Because I can imagine there are a whole bunch of shiny objects out there and you may or may not want to acquire them. How do you... From an operational standpoint, Matt, make sure that it all works together. Um, from a you know governance standpoint, does each company have its own GM or you know CEO, and then they all report to you? And then how do you make sure that all the children get along together and play in the sandbox nicely? Um, <laughs> Great question. <laughs> which well, is well, first, why, which is what the whole thesis of the second half of the show is, right? Because it's all about people, and I can only imagine with six different people running six different companies, how does that work? Uh, so it's a lot of questions. Pick whatever you want to answer. <laughs> Let me just go to the shiny object first. I knew that since, one's going. Uh, <laughs> Dave is a true entrepreneur, and anything shiny He's creates, like, guilty. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know it. Guilty. <laughs> creates a, a vision in his head as to the greatness that is going to be next. So uh, Vivek, the CFO, and I uh, spend a lot of time reeling them back in, but uh, it's an amazing mind that Dave has on looking at those shiny objects and how they actually incorporate into our company. But seriously, how do you know which ones, or, or so let me ask this, have it, you ever a had need. a bad, have you ever had a bad acquisition where you're like, ooh, bad idea? Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> that was, not, not since I've been there. Yeah, that's pretty mad. I was just going to say that. You know, this is why you hire a COO right now, is it keeps you straight. So, you know, the, the truth of the matter is I have gone down paths and acquired companies that did not work out as well. And uh, those lessons were valuable to moving forward with. Don't you love those valuable lessons? Uh, and I have many of them. How long is the show? <laughs> <laughs> I say my greatest strength are, is all my failures. So that that is definitely the case. But uh, some have not worked out and some have worked out great. And some didn't work out great that we turned into being great. So mm-hmm. Uh, that some people wouldn't have taken the risk. What Matt and Vivek have brought to the table is a, a much broader management team that has the experience and knowledge to keep my shiny objects, uh, making sure that they're the right move and beneficial to the whole company. And, and Matt's been a godsend, Vivek's been a godsend to really bring in uh, the structure that's needed that, you know, I can go chase those shiny ob- objects or create them, 
but they keep the reality there and, and keep it in check. So when did you come on, Matt? About two and a half years ago. Okay, great. So you, your company had been around for a while before Vivek? Correct. And, and Matt joined you. Uh, Vivek has been there for a long time with Dave from the beginning. Okay. But what was it, like what like movement or what prompted you to say, okay, it's time to bring on Matt, you know, to, to move things along? Well, that, <clears throat> that's a good question. So in, in 99 is when we acquired, when I acquired Brewmark, we grew it in 2004, Vivek started. And that financial strength of a CFO was invaluable. <clears throat> he, what, he allowed me to do the things I needed to do while he managed the finances and really kept me uh, a much better vision and clear as to uh, the, how I need to move forward and the right ways to move forward. We grew the company over the years, made acquisitions together. And in uh, 2013, nine through 13, made some acquisitions. And Matt joined us basically in 2015. And it was the right time. We had grow, grown the company from from one to uh, about 60 employees. And uh, it was time to bring on the experience of operations. Uh, Vivek was helping on operations and we weren't really as strong as we needed to be. We have a, a, a commitment to our customer and our world. We, we can't lose, we can't miss. Mm-hmm. So we have to be right. And uh, both from a business point of view, but also from an, uh, just an execution point of view for our customers. So, you know, we needed the talent and the experience and, and Matt was the perfect fit for us with his experience and knowledge and his taking the company and really helped explode it. Even, even after all the growth you've talked about and making the Inc. 5,000, 500, uh, just about double the size of the company since Matt, Matt has been on. Which I just think is fascinating. So, but I, I, I'm very interested in the internal process, right? Because was there like a moment or an epiphany or an event that had you say, both with Vivek and then with Matt that said, okay, something needs to change because you know, usually we kind of think if things are going well, things are going well, right? Well, that that's exactly right. If, if you feel things are going well, and for me, I'm about excellence, and I want to be able to perform at very high levels, and I wasn't content with the structure we had, with the management that we had in our operations. I knew we to grow the company, we needed somebody with strong operational skill set. But how did you know? That's what I want to know. Just by watching projects go through our process. Our process was breaking down. We didn't have the morale we needed. Uh, there were a lot of missing pieces that, that we had. Even though we were growing and doing well, integrating these acquisitions was very difficult. And just fundamentally, the resource available to Vivek and I, was we had maxed ourselves out. We were working very hard, very long mm-hmm. hours. We, we couldn't grow any further without someone else joining us. So, you know, you can only take it, you only have so many hours in a day. And without good, strong people, who are willing to get in and help you grow a company is very difficult. Matt had the mindset and mindset and skill set to want to join it and grow it. And uh, lo and behold, he's done everything you said he would do. That's awesome. So let's go to the the other one of the other questions I ha- I had, which is about governance and keeping the integrity of the brand and of the culture as you're growing so quickly. Help us understand how how you are are doing that. You got to start that one. Well, I, I'll be honest. I tell the story, but culture is everything. So, and and my belief, culture will eat strategy for lunch. It's been said and done. I just love to repeat it because, because it's so true. I've seen where culture hasn't worked, and I've seen where culture has worked. Um, I, even though I wanted to have a very strong, uh, I'm a people person, and wanted a very, I call it empowering the employees. I wanted entrepreneurs. I wanted people who own their own business inside the walls of our company. I can never achieve that. I wasn't able to achieve that, even though that was my vision. I, for whatever reason, I turned around and that was not happening. 
Uh, Matt has the ability to make that happen and has executed. He's turned a culture that was very difficult, integrating multiple companies together, and has brought it together as one entity and made it very strong. Our people are our biggest asset right now. We're probably was our, our weakest point uh, prior to Matt. Mm-hmm. No, and a, a lot of that was uh, we are now 155 employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the last two and a half years, we've integrated three companies, Chisel 3D, Atlantis Waterjet, and GCI. It really is a focus on the employee, Dave's dedication to the customer-first approach. The customer is the center of our universe, which is a really easy hook to get all employees focused on. So everything we do aligns with that goal, and all the authority that's given to the employees aligns with that goal. They're charged with making sure that the customer experience is nothing but excellent, and that they don't pass anything to their peers that doesn't align with making that experience for the customer that Mm -hmm. high level. It's been great over the last two and a half years. Dave has really engaged in the appreciation and recognition of our employees and doing a lot of items outside of just basic compensation that makes an environment very satisfying for the employees, we believe. Mm -hmm. So let's unpack that a little bit. So this is the whole, you know, second half of the show is to talk about these kinds of issues. And it's so easy for us to say culture is really important and we value the customer. And, you know, there are a lot of, it's important for me to get beyond platitudes. So help us with something maybe specific or actionable that people can, like, sink their teeth into who are listening to the the show. Like, wh- give us a specific example of how you translate those values into what employees actually do. Well, the first one for me is actually giving the employee the authority and the responsibility of making decisions and controlling Mm -hmm. the product. Even down to the shop floor, when uh, first arrived, it was very typical pyramid structure where one individual at the top really controlled everything. And that didn't allow for input and the individuals even on the shop floor to be a high level part of the quality process. So making sure that they know that their responsibility, even the lowest end carpenter, can stop any project at any time and say, we're not proceeding until I get the information I need or we build this correctly. So it was just imbuing that understanding into them that they have that responsibility and they have that authority. Once they understood that, it took off like lightning. Mm. Now we reinforce that with recognition programs, peer recognition. So anybody in the company can go to HR, no questions asked, pull a spot award, and just give it out. Just recognize it. I can just go recognize Dave. The only thing we ask is that you do it in a public environment, right? There's no questions asked. You don't have to justify anything. There's no long paperwork for you to get the award. A peer-to-peer recognition immediate is a very powerful thing. Then we have another layer of, uh, which is then done quarterly, where we give out a monetary award in silver dollars, and multiple employees can win every quarter, and the, the employees keep the silver dollars, and it's, it's almost their, uh, their bragging rights, right? So I got 12 of them now, right? So that's starting to go on. And then we escalate up, and even to school scholarships and a bunch of other items. So we have a very broad program to take care of and recognize the best behavior of our employees. Mm. I'm going to jump in one second, too, and, and, and again, credit to Matt. What he did is he took He's empowered the employees. I told you that's what I wanted. But when I'm working with customers and focused on satisfying a customer, I never had the time or or spent the time with the employees on the other side. So you become unbelievable, right? 
even though I want you to have a great environment, I want you to do great, I want to empower you, I'm not there for them. Where Matt has been able to actually execute exactly what our vision and goal is with the employees. And let and that believability, and that has to continue everywhere, right? You Once you break that down and you say, oh, yeah, we care about you, and someone has an issue and you ignore them, are you believable anymore? No. And that's where culture starts to break down. So we've been able, we opened our doors, our policies to come talk to us anytime. I've, I've always had that. You know how many employees would come and talk to me? None. Mm. They were afraid. I didn't realize that, but that was the truth. So the, the programs we put in are just aligning themselves to, to make sure that we execute our commitment to the employee every day from HR to Matt and operations to myself. So these programs that Matt talked about are just one of the elements that we do, but he's brought that to the table and it's been a huge difference uh, and just rewarding for me as well because that's really what I want to say. It might be a really low-level item, but people don't think about it. Dave talked about how employees wouldn't come to him. So one of the rules I've always put, I learned it from mentors long ago, is don't be dependent upon employees coming to you. So we focus on and make sure that at least three times per day, we take a lap around the shop and we touch all the employees and talk to them and give them an opportunity to interact with us because you'd be surprised. Then they start getting into a rhythm too. So where if they do need things for you to approve, go through, or just need advice on, they sit there and they know when you're going to come by and they have it ready for you. <laughs> right? So the interaction then and all the employees as you're going through uh, becomes much higher level and then they start feeling more comfortable in the communication and then you start finding out where you have troubles a lot faster. And you can address those a lot easier then. Great. So the other, another question I'd ask is about governance. So for the, the six companies, does each of them have their own like GM and then they all report in? How does that work? So the organizational structure is each one of them, the owner of that company, we, re, we retained. Okay. And we retain the expertise of their staff too. They are set up as VPs in charge with growing the business. They all directly report to me. And sales, oddly enough, reports to me as being uh, the chief operating officer. Uh, a little bit different as we're still growing on that, but the issues we were having were more on uh, sales operations, quality control items, making sure we had the coverage and those types of items and helping the salespeople with the product mix. So the governance is they're allowed to, and they do sell their own product lines. They are integrated fully into the organization, and they support one another. The best part about it is if we have a customer solution or a meeting with a customer who wants to know what they can do next, the power that we can put together at that meeting with our small company and the experts we can bring together is amazing. It it really is. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So. I'd asked, how do you get all the children to play nicely together? I'm going to ask again. <laughs> We've been lucky enough that uh, the acquisitions we did do were companies who wanted to join where we were going. Okay. And I will say Dave is infectious and he brings out the best in people. So there were individuals who wanted to join the team. We just didn't go out and acquire companies. These were companies who wanted to join where we were going. Mm. That makes it easy, right? And then the rest of it is selection of the team and the management and putting in energy providers and people who are moving in the right direction, mm. right? There, are, there is a certain amount, I hate to say it, but turnover that does happen as we're uh, growing as a company and heading in the direction that we want to. But at every step of the way, 
the right individual who believes in the direction, wants to be part of it, and wants to own their part of it, makes it a very simple journey. So I keep saying so, but I'm very, like, this fascinating. How do you go about choosing the acquisitions? An initial thought on, you know, how do you get the the right, you know, the process in place for for acquiring these companies? That's a big deal, because I know CEOs listening are like, well, I'd like to go out and acquire six companies too, but most of them can't do it. Let me share with you from my perspective and and how I actually envisioned and visualized being able to do this. First of all, I am an entrepreneur, so and being a CEO, I kind of know the pain points of small business uh, because I was suffering them just like everyone else. Uh, cash flow problems, growth issues, human resources, to be able to grow the business, dealing with the financial side as a burden that keeps us up at night, right? So we, there's a lot of issues that, but yet my passion is to customers, right? I love being involved and and seeing a successful outcome to whatever, you know, the trust and confidence they have in us and myself. So the so understanding what other CEOs have of small companies, I listen very intently to the to the pain point. And if I could, I felt if I could release them and let them focus on the customer, which most of them, that's the relationship that they wanted to have, then if I could figure out a way to make that happen, it was a great win-win for both of us. They could focus on the customer. They could have a great quality of life. They could do what they do and be passionate about still building their division. And that's what basically came to fruition. And and we've been able to achieve it that way. And it was also a strategy of the company. We didn't want to build cost centers. We wanted to build profit centers. So in other words, I could have bought equipment and been in the business of doing any of these things and then built the business from there. Or we bought a, a freestanding bu- uh, business, an active business, and then grew it from that point as a profit center. And that's what we chose to do. So it was just a matter of, aligning those two things, and that's what made it successful. Awesome. Well, uh, for those of you listening, we've been talking to Dave Wallens and Matt Kelly, CEO and COO of Exploring Inc., about experiential marketing, acquisitions, how to maintain brand and culture integrity in the midst of extraordinarily fast growth. It has been a great show, gentlemen. Um, I'll close by asking if there's anything like new or exciting that's happening at Exploring Inc. that you'd love for our CEO listeners to to be aware of? Oh, we always have something fun and exciting going on. I'll share this part with you. So we do what is called the Dream Builders Tour. Um, and this part excites me um, from, from my seat. And that is we bring in colleges and high schools to take a tour through our facility. We've just expanded our facility. It's 150,000 square feet of production. Very unique. Uh, you get to see a lot of skill sets from the business side and from being hands-on in the shop in the manufacturing side. And we encourage uh, schools to come through and just let their, their kids experience it. Uh, from my seat as an entrepreneur uh, to, to Matt's seat as a COO, we'll, we're glad to share what we could share. So we'd love to do it, and, and that's one of our, our passions from my perspective. And, of course, we've got a, many, many things going on that are very exciting at the company business-wise. Yeah, I would agree with Dave on the, the Dream Tours. Those are fantastic interactions with in many instances, become our next level of uh, employees as we bring them on as interns and they turn into full-time employees. It's a great way for us to uh, to build. But uh, exploring with the addition of GCI now and our uh, grand format printing, our dimensional build, once that is done, we have a whole new scenic area that is about to triple in size. And I would say that our scenic department, our ability three-dimensional, our animatronics, our animation is uh, 
is quickly becoming one of the world's best. Awesome. Well, thanks for a great show, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. All right. So you've been listening to CEO Exclusive. I'm your host, Soyini Coke. I hope you have a profitable, profitable, productive, and very prosperous week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.